see where our resources are going. And I just want to get to a place where, where they, they can come home and share and tell all the great things that they're doing, but not sit in Nigeria or Mexico worrying about their finances. And I know it's, the economy's tough, but you know what? God's bigger than our economy, and we just need to be thinking about how we as a church can come around them. And, and honestly, here's the reality. They're saying, if anyone would like to support us at $25 or $50 or whatever else, and you sit there as a church and go, gee, we're talking about money, someone's going to be offended. You know what the reality is? This is your blessing, not theirs. If you support them, you're going to get blessed. I don't mean God's going to give you more money. I'm not a televangelist telling you, if you give 100, you'll get 1,000. I don't know what he'll do. But I know you're going to be blessed because you're going to be a part of what they're doing, saving people's lives. So if you want to be a part of this, count it as a blessing. Get excited in your heart that you're able to give, okay, and support them and be a part of what they're doing in Nigeria. Be a part of the kingdom of God because what we're going to be doing in Nigeria, especially in Nigeria through this church over the next few years, is going to boggle your mind. And we all want to be a part of it. I said last week that our 2010 money would be going to our missionaries, 2010 and 2010. You give $20.10 more per month on top of your regular giving, and that'll go there. You know, we've got this uh, new-to-you deal where if you bring everything, everything we bring in from now until end of December, all sales, not profits, all sales from the thrift store, because we've done so well this year, all sales goes to Nigeria, Mexico, and our, in our local community of, of our missionaries. Okay, that's amazing. Go empty your house out, take it to new to you. We'll pick it up. We'll take, you put it in the truck, whatever it is. But let's support our folks. I, I love that, you know, Emily's saying, I've known you what, since seventh grade? Okay, you got to take care of your own, you know what I'm saying? So let's come around them. Let's not send them back with the worries of financial support. I don't know what that means for you. I'm, we're not going to take a collection or anything this morning. Just let God speak to your heart and let's, uh, let's, support, those, let's support those that we have sent out as a church. We not, may not be very old, but we've sent a lot of missionaries out around the world. We have a lot of missionaries right here at home in our own community who are doing amazing jobs. So we want to support them. And I know we can. I know we can. All right. There's my little... Soapbox. All right. Exodus chapter 20. Starting in verse 1, it says, And God spoke all these words I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. We're on the Ten Commandments. 2010 and 2010, as we're talking about. 20 to Exodus 2010. I love that little, you know, that play on, you know, it's 2010, we're doing Exodus 2010, we're going through the Ten Commandments. This is going to be a great series. This is going to be a series I think will really have an impact on our lives because the Ten Commandments you think you go through, oh, okay, it's not going to be very practical. Oh, yeah, it really will be. It really will be. I think this is going to be one of the most exciting series we've been through. So let's, let's focus on Exodus 20, uh, verse 1 and 2 here. You know, reality is when we recognize our own sin, when you recognize your sin, you begin to understand, truly understand the grace of God. And when you understand the grace of God, you understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, a lot of people might be thinking, you know, who, what Christian doesn't understand the grace of God? Don't all Christians understand the grace of God and how it applies to their lives? Isn't that kind of basic Christianity? Don't all Christians get that? Well, the answer, to be really realistic, is no, they don't. And throughout history, throughout history, the church has drifted from the truth and, and, and gotten swallowed up in culture. Let me give you an example. Diedrich Bonhoeffer is famous 
because he was one of the only Christians in Germany, only Christian leaders in Germany to stand up against Hitler. You know, the Germans wanted, the, 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 the Nazis wanted to come in and have, have control. And Bonhoeffer took, took this commandment, this commandment seriously, that he will have no other gods. He will have one God. He was not going to be worshiping the Nazis, really what they wanted. The Nazis were determined to influence the church. They wanted to get into the church. They wanted the church to put up their, their, their symbols, their Nazi symbols. So instead of having a cross, you'd also have the Nazi symbol and all these kinds of things. The Nazis wanted to come in and influence the church and get in their sanctuary all these symbols. I read that some of the churches in Germany at that time were, were actually teaching ancient German pagan beliefs. They started teaching that nationalism started getting swept up. And so the Nazis were influencing the church. The culture, the culture around the church was starting to filter into the church and was having an impact on the church. Even, even the, the Hitler was, um, the Hitler propaganda machine was basically uh, encouraging churches to accept these Nazi policies of persecuting the Jews. The, the Hitler youth movement started meeting on Sundays so that the youth in Germany could not go to church on Sunday mornings. You know what I mean? Keep them out of church. Limit the influence of the church. And whatever church was there, make sure the church was preaching the company line, the cultural policies. And the church, through all of this, for the most part, was completely silent. They were silent. They allowed culture to influence. They allowed other gods, if you will, to come in and influence Bonhoeffer responded by starting a new church. He started a new church called the Confessing Church. And Bonhoeffer, even though he faced overwhelming opposition, he began to, to preach against the persecution of the Jews. Everybody else is kind of going along with, not everybody, but most of the church is kind of going along with it. Bonhoeffer was saying, no, he preached against the persecution of the Jews. He preached against the teachings of Hitler. And he preached against any church that would, that, would, that, would, that, would, that would respond that way, that would compromise its integrity by preaching what Hitler was telling them to preach. So here's a guy who is standing up in the face of overwhelming opposition in his culture while even the church around him was doing what they were told to do. After a few years, the Gestapo basically killed most of his followers. So he only had a handful of people who were willing to stand for the truth. Ultimately, this Gestapo shut down his church, and then six years later, uh, they arrested him. Two years after his arrest, they came, they, they basically, they took him, and two years after his arrest in April of 1945, right before the U.S. Army came in to liberate his, his, his camp, his, basically his concentration camp that he was in, they hung him. They hung him. But throughout history, my friends, that's one example. Throughout history, the church can be pulled by culture. The church can take its eyes off of Jesus Christ and be pulled in by everything else that's going on around us. Other gods are out there, in a sense, waiting. And you know what I mean by gods. All these, all these other pulls on our lives are out there waiting. But Bonhoeffer would not submit, and it cost him his life. Now, most of us will never have to face such a difficult decision. That's just reality. We live in America. Most likely in our lifetime, hopefully, none of us will have to face a decision like this. But strong influences are everywhere. 
presenting themselves as gods, demanding our worship and demanding our attention. It may not be the Nazis. It may not be the Gestapo coming in telling you what you have to say or do, but it may be other influences that constantly press upon us, constantly pull our worship and our attention away from the one true God. It happens all the time. It doesn't just happen in these, in these kinds of events that we talked about. It happens in our lives. Things like materialism pulling at us. Individualism. Humanism. Even, even our hobbies, even our activities can try to pull our attention away from our God and put our attention on those things, whatever it is, whatever it is. But they're going to try to pull our attention. But the Bible is absolutely clear that there's only one God and that God expects our complete and total worship. He wants it all. He wants our worship. And make no mistake about it. There's a direct correlation. This is important. There's a direct correlation by the way we live our lives, between the way we live our lives and, and, and the one that we worship. There is a correlation by, between how you act and how you live your lives and how you speak and how you think and, the, and, and that which you worship. There's no, way, there's no way around it. You become like that which you worship. You will become like the thing that you worship. Let me share an example from the Old Testament. Let's contrast Judaism and Baal worship, okay, in the, in the Old Testament. You'll see this concept coming very clear. The Canaanites worship Baal. He was their symbol of power, of, of fertility, of growth. He was a, a kind of a nature god, and they, and they worshiped him. And Baalism turned immoral sexual acts into sacred acts. And so it encouraged adultery and prostitution. And, and you have people there, you become immorality in that, in that form of worship. Immorality became worship. And those who were caught up, those who participated, were changed forever into the likeness of that which they worshipped to their God. They were changed forever. Their lives, were, their lives, if you will, were transformed into the one that they worshipped. In, in Hosea chapter 4, verses 10 through 12, it tells us this. They will eat, but not have enough. They will engage in prostitution, but not flourish, because they have deserted the Lord to give themselves to prostitution. Old wine and new wine take away their understanding. My people consult a wooden idol, and a, and a diviner's rod speaks to them. A spirit of prostitution leads them astray. They are unfaithful to their God. So you see the worshipers of Baal, they worshiped him, they worshiped that and, and their behavior, they started worshiping that type of behavior and that took over their hearts. That's who they became. You become like that which you worship, whatever it is. On the other hand, the God of the Old Testament, Jehovah God, is a personal God. God he's the God of Abraham, he is the God of Moses, the God of Joseph. He's the God, he's the God of, of Peter He's the God of Paul. He's the God of David. Here is a God who is a God of love. He's a God that carries us through the, 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 the shadow of death. When we go through difficulties, our God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. He's a God of grace and forgiveness. He's a God that supplies all of our, our needs. He is, is a God of grace. He is a God of love. He is a God of forgiveness. 
And, and if we will worship him, if we will, if we will make him a part of our lives, if he is the most important part of our life, if we serve him, then we will exhibit those same characteristics in our lives. Love, compassion, forgiveness. If we will worship the God of the Old Testament, if we'll worship our God, if we'll worship Jesus Christ, then we will take on the characteristics of that God. See, we become like that which we worship. This is such an important principle because you wonder why you can't get close to God. You wonder why you're drifting away. You wonder why you look around and even those who are Christians around you are way off, way off in left field in some areas. And you're like, how could someone believe that and be a follower of Jesus Christ? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Here's what Jesus says. Here's what the Bible says. Here's what, here's what our God says. But then you think, you think and you act over here and you're con- you are confused by their behavior. Don't be. Don't be. That's why God said, you shall have no other gods before me. Because if you do, if you have other gods, you will become like those gods. Are you even surprised? Think about this. Are, are you even surprised that we are in a financial mess, that we're in the financial mess that we are in this country, when you have much of corporate America that is worshiping money and influence, money and power. I mean, are, are, you, are you shocked at all that you have people who put personal gain first and foremost in their lives? Those same people take the money and run and leave other people in financial ruin. Are you even surprised by that? I mean, how can we sit here and say we're surprised by this kind of behavior when, when money and power and influence become someone's God, they become like their God. So in Enron or any of these other companies or people who are cheating or the, this, all the scams that were going on that put us into the position that we're in right now, are you even surprised when people lay aside God and they say, this is now my God? They won't say money and power is their God, but they live as if money and power is their God. So it is. And then they behave this way and we're all shocked. I don't think you're shocked. I'm certainly not shocked. Are we surprised at all that our political parties are in the mess that they're in when when personal power and influence are first and foremost on their minds? When they no longer go to God first for advice, they go to their special interests for advice. That is their God. That's what we have to understand. You sit here, what, their, their approval rating of a lot of our politicians is what, 15 or 20%? We're, we're frustrated because we watch and we go, what is wrong with these folks? How can they act this way? How can they be such liars? Or how can they be such this? Or how can they, they cheat this way and get away with that? And we sit here and scratch our heads. Do you really scratch your head? You shouldn't. Because if power and influence and special interests are your God, then you will act out according to those you worship. That which you worship. You become like that which you worship. So the first commandment here, God says, you have no other God before me because God says, be holy as I am holy. Jesus walked the earth and set an example for us to follow. He is the perfect example of what it is to be a human being. And Jesus says, follow me. Why do you think Paul said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ? Because you will become like that which you worship. It's not, it shouldn't be a shock to any, to any of us. It shouldn't be a shock to any of us. The reality is, my friends, we cannot worship two gods. 
The Bible says that you will love one and hate the other. You cannot worship both God and money. You cannot worship both God and sports. You cannot worship both God and whatever it is. You just put your own tag on there. You cannot worship both because you will end up loving one and hating the other. That's what the Bible says. And God says that I'm not going to put up with second place. I'm not going to accept second place from you. And it's not like this God in heaven with lightning bolts is going to get you and he's, oh, oh, I'm a jealous God and blah, 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 blah. What it boils down to is I love you so much. I want to be in a relationship with you so much. And you need to be like me because I understand the world better than anyone else. And I understand if you continue to go down the road that you're going, you're going to end up in misery and suffering. The world offers you all these things that pull you in. They offer you power. They offer you prestige. They offer you fame. But I love that Lee Iacocca quote. He said, Iacocca quote, where he said, I got to the top and there was nothing there. God knows that already. God knows that, you know, money will make you a little happier because you get to do a few more things. But if you think that money is going to bring purpose and significance and contentment and joy and peace to your life, you're completely wrong. God knows that. If you have a relationship with him, if he is first in your life, then yes, you can have those other things. You can be a billionaire. That's totally fine. Nothing wrong with having money. But if money is your God, then you're not going to end up in the place that God wants you to be. He needs to be number one. He needs to be first. Like I said earlier, we will become like the God that we worship. If money is your God, if greed is your God, if power is your God, if influence is your God, if position is your God, if whatever, your, whatever it is, you will become like your God. That's the principle. You'll become like your God. In Micah chapter 6, verse 8, it says, He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. The one true God is just. The one true God is loving. And if he is our God, then we will be just and loving as well. Do you want to overcome some of the things that you struggle with in your life? Become more like Jesus Christ. The goal, you know, you want, what's my purpose? You say, Pastor, what's my purpose in life? The number one purpose in your life is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, to become more like Jesus Christ. You want to be more loving? Worship God only. You want to become more forgiving? Worship God alone. You want to become more compassionate? You want more joy? You want more contentment? You want more peace? Then worship God alone. Because the more like him you become, the more peace, the more joy that you'll receive all those things because that's what our God is like. If we serve God, his nature will have a profound impact on our nature and how we live our lives. His divine nature will overcome. This is really cool. His divine nature in us will overcome our personality flaws and our character weaknesses, regardless of how severe or how minor they are. Do you want to overcome? We talked about, I want to be where the rain ends. And we kind of went through some of the things that help us, that, that, that keep us from becoming the person that God created us to be. Do you want to get to that point? Do you want to get out of the rain, the frustration and the misery that you face in your life sometimes? Then we have to become more like him. 
He will overcome our sinful nature. He will overcome our personality flaws. He will overcome our character difficulties. Regardless of how severe they are, God can do that in our lives. The Holy Spirit working through us. There's nothing that can stop God changing your life if you open yourself up to him and you allow him to be first in your life. You allow him to be your God instead of these other things being your God and then coming on Sunday mornings or whatever else through the week and just kind of playing Christian or having God in a little box somewhere that you pull up the shelf of, you blow it off and you kind of pull him out. Yeah, there he is. That's right. But he's kind of the he's kind of the secondary character in, in, in your life story. God is serious about this command. Why do you think he put it first? Why do you think it's first? Because it's the foundation. Loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength is the foundation for everything else that we do. When God, listen, this is important. When God is reduced to second or third in your life, you are reduced as well. This is a principle. When God is reduced to second or third or fourth in your life, then you are reduced as well. Let me explain. It, it, when, when he's not first, we become, we become a, 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 frag, a fraction of what we were created to be. When God is not first in your, when you don't put him first in your life, you become a fraction of what you were created to be. And it becomes impossible to fulfill God's purpose for your life. When he gets knocked down the line, you become less. You are a fraction of what you were created to be. And you, it becomes impossible for you to fulfill the purpose for which God created you. It's not just, you know, we don't get out of this. If we, say, if we put God down the line, then we lose. We as human beings lose. Because as God is first in your life, he will show you your purpose. He will help you become the person that he created you to be. But if you lay him aside and focus your attention somewhere else and follow some other philosophy or whatever, then that is going to lead you and is going to lead you away from your purpose, lead you away from that for the reason you were created in the first place. We need to have first, we need to have God first. He needs to be on the throne. And whatever else is on the throne right now, you need to figure out what is on the throne of my life. It needs to leave that throne and give that throne back to the one who deserves it, which is God, the one and only God. There are some serious questions that we need to ask ourselves to determine, to see if we have other gods in our lives. We're sitting here, you may be thinking, well, I'm not really sure if I have other gods in my life. And, and so let, let's walk through some questions to see if we have other gods in our lives because the, these few questions may help you determine that. The first one is, where have you set your heart? Where have you set your heart? What is important to you? As you sit here this morning, you need to answer that question. What is important to me? Is it your job? Is that the most important thing? Is it your possessions, your house, the things that you have? Maybe it's your money, your bank account. That's as long as you see those numbers going up, that's number one to you. Maybe it's another person that's number one in your life. What is number one? Have you set your heart on God? Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1 says this. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your hearts on things above. Since you have been raised with Christ, since you say that you're a believer in Jesus Christ, since you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, talking to myself, then I need to set my heart on things above 
where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Where have you set your heart? Ask your honestly. I need to ask the same question. I don't care if I'm the pastor or not. I have to ask myself, where have I set my heart? And you have to ask yourself, where have you set your heart? Another question is, who are you trying to impress? Who is it right now that you're trying to impress? Tell I'm not trying to impress anybody. I don't want to impress anybody. You see, here's what we do. We, 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 we play hard and we, we work hard and we plan hard and we study hard and we, we strive to be successful and we... Why is the question. Why? Why do you do those things? Who are you trying to impress? Whom are you trying to impress? This, this gets to, the, this gets to the, 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 the point of motives. This gets us to the point or the, uh, to speaks to motives. See, we may be trying to impress ourselves. You may just want to impress yourself. In other words, there's a purely self-centered motive to why you want to achieve certain things. It's self-centered for your ambitions. You work for yourself. When you go to work, you leave church on Sunday, you go to work on Monday through Friday, you work for yourself. You accumulate things for yourself. You achieve success for yourself. That's what's motivating you. Self. Now, some do it to impress other people. You want to impress other people. You want other people to think a certain way about you. You You strive in your heart to make sure that you look as good as humanly possible in the eyes of other people. You want them to see you a certain way. You want their recognition. You chase their praise, if you will. You chase their praise. You want them to praise you. So your, your focus is the out other person. You want people to see you in a certain light. You want people to look at you in a certain way. You're a people pleaser. The Bible says that we should be God pleasers, that we should focus our attention on pleasing God. The first commandment exhorts us to be God pleasers. The only one we should worry about taking, you know, worrying about what we look like or, or, or who we're trying to impress is him. The only person we should be trying to impress is God. Don't worry about all these other people, what they're thinking or saying, or, but we do that sometimes. That's why you have to look into your own heart. I'm not going to judge your heart. I'm not God. You need to look into your own heart. I need to look into my own heart and say, do I do the things that I do? Am I spending time in Africa or up here in the pulpit or whatever because I want to impress other people so everybody gives me a pat on the back? Is that why I'm doing what I'm doing? I have to ask that question. Or I could get myself into trouble. Why do you think you get disappointed in pastors sometimes who are up in the pulpit and are doing all these amazing things? At the end of the day, they, they drive themselves down. They end up falling because they don't ask these kinds of questions of the heart. Why am I doing what am I that I'm doing? Do I do it to, to, to boost my own ego? Am I doing it to so that you feel a certain way about me? I have to ask those questions because if they're answered yes and yes, then I'm not, then God is not first in my life. I'm first in my life, and what you think of me comes second, and God comes somewhere down the line. We use his name a lot and sing songs about him. That's not really what's going on in my heart, and it's maybe not what's going on in your heart, but we need to ask the question. God wants us to ask the question. I'm not judging. I'm just asking the question that we should all ask in our own hearts. You know, when we lose sight of the first commandment, listen, when we lose sight of the first commandment, we lose sight of God. When we lose sight of the first commandment, we lose sight of our God. 
C.H. Spurgeon wrote this, the course of rebellion against God may be very gradual, but it increases in rapidity as you process in it. And if you begin to run down the hill, the ever-increasing impetus will send you down faster and faster to destruction. You Christians ought to watch against, uh, you ought to watch against the beginning of worldly conformity. Once you begin, there is no knowing where you will stop. I sometimes get this question put to me concerning certain worldly amusements. May I do so and so? I'm very sorry whenever anyone asks me that question because it shows that there's something wrong or would not be raised at all. If a person's conscience lets them say, well, I can go to A, he will also very soon go to B, C, D, and E and through all the letters of the alphabet. When Satan cannot catch us in a big sin, he will try a little one. It does not matter to him as long as he catches his fish what bait he uses. Beware of the beginning of evil. For many who bade fair to go right have turned aside and perished among the dark mountains in the wide field of sin. Spurgeon, you got to love Spurgeon. You, you know, if he got up here and preached, man, it'd be like your hair be blown back. <laughs> Some of these old preachers, I love their words, the words they use. Be careful. The fro- Basically, if he was, he was here in 21st century, he'd say, you know that analogy of the frog in the kettle? They put that frog in cool water and turn the heat up and slowly the frog boils, not realizing it's boiling until it's dead. If you threw a frog in a kettle on a pot of boiling water, it'd jump right out. But if you put a frog in a, in a pot of nice cool water and just turn the heat up, he'll just burn to death. He'll fry himself. He doesn't recognize it. And that's what he's saying. Be careful. Satan's schemes are everywhere. He knows you. He knows what your natural or your sinful tendencies are. And he'll use those to slowly lure you away. And it doesn't have to be a real wide turn. You know, if you look at a ship, if a ship's just off course, off course the tiniest bit, by the time it reaches the destination, it might as well be on the other side of the world. Right? Doesn't have to turn us very far to get us off track. Ten years down the road, we have no idea how we got there, but our lives are completely ruined. The reality is, my friends, putting God first in our lives is not an automatic response to his love and his mercy and his grace and his forgiveness and his compassion. It needs to be our choice. As we close this morning, that's what needs to happen. That needs to be your choice. It needs to be my choice. Our our natural response isn't to put God first in our lives. First, it's to put us first. Then we look look for other gods. But what we need to do is to focus our attention on making a choice to put him first. And when we put him first, we become more loving. We become more merciful. We become more compassionate. We become more forgiving. We become, we become kind and generous when we put him first. But that's a choice. That's a choice. We need to be careful. As Christians, we need to be aware of the often subtle, I'm going to use that word, subtle, simple, subtle pull of this world. Let me close with this, this quote. Donald Gray Barnhouse wrote this. I loved it when I read this. Some years ago, musicians noted that errand boys in a certain part of London were all whistling out of tune as they went about their work. It was talked about that someone suggested that it was because of the bells of of Westminster were slightly out of tune. Something had gone wrong with the chimes and they were in discordant. 
The boys did not know there was anything wrong with the, with the peels, and quite unconsciously, they had copied their pitch. So we tend to copy the people with whom we associate. We borrow thoughts from the books that we read and the programs to which we listen, almost without knowing it. God has given us his word, which is the absolute pitch of life and living. If we learn to sing by it, we shall easily detect the false in all the music of the world. My friends, subtlety is what will pull us away from God. Subtlety, simple movements, simple decisions that sometimes we don't even recognize. We need to put God first in our lives. We need to put him on the throne. We need to keep him on the throne. And that will give us the kind of peace, the kind of joy, the kind of contentment that will allow us to live out our purpose, to live out the existence for which God created us. God should be first. Everything else should come second. Think through this week. What is on the throne of your life? What is first in your life? And if it's anything beyond our God, if anything is first, we need to get our hearts right there before we go anywhere else. Our hearts have to be right in that area. And then we will see transformation happen in in our own lives, in our families, and all those around us. Let's bow our head. Father God, thank you so much for this time that we can spend together. And Father, thank you for the opportunity to just be here and to worship you. And God, as we go through the Ten Commandments, we ask, Lord, that you would really open up our hearts and our minds and allow us to see the things that are affecting our marriages, our relationships with our children, our relationships with people at work, our own own emotional state, Lord God. Maybe the reason we're having so much trouble in our lives is that something else is on the throne leading us. May we put you back on the throne. May you be our God and may you have the influence in our lives. And in that we will find health physically, emotionally, spiritually because you're a God who brings order. You're a God who brings healing. You're a God who brings contentment and purpose to our life in this very confusing world. Pray these things in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Have a great week. We'll see you tonight, 530.